0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Subscribe to the Astros Podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day.
1: Steve Sparks here and I'm with Lance McCuller. Tons of interviews.
0: Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is line in the right field and that's going to get down for a base hit. High deep and it's gone! Follow your favorite team. Out. See you later. See you later.
1: See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. All
0: season long. A Bob Z at home plate. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in minute Park. part. Woo-hoo! For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. Well, welcome back to another edition of the the Astros podcast. It's Robert Ford, joined by Steve Sparks, Astros radio broadcasters. And, uh, you know, we're recording this after the uh, long-awaited premiere of that ESPN documentary about that, the Chicago Bulls' last dance, uh, the last season that... You know, they won a championship in, in 98 and, you know, Jordan's last year there and, and Pippen and, and all that. And uh, I know I, you know, I watched it last night. I know I'm sure you did, Steve. Uh, and I know it wasn't baseball, but well, Jordan did play baseball. So it's still somewhat relevant. What 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 did you enjoy most about that, those first two episodes?
1: You know, it's kind of funny, Robert, is my son and I were sitting on the couch about five minutes before it began. And, and I told Blake, I said, you know what, I, I bet this is going to be. As good as we're hoping it will. And I've got to say, after watching those first two hours, it it exceeded expectations. Man, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought they they had uh, so much in-depth stuff, watching Jordan getting on his teammates uh, uh, in practice. Just so many little things. The music was great. Everything I thought was really top-notch. So uh, it didn't disappoint. I can't wait for the next eight episodes. Uh, and I think it's going to be a, a great insight to one of the greatest uh, athletes that we've ever seen. Uh, the mindset, I think, is uh, once again, and we we kind of knew it. The, the mindset, the assassin of Michael Jordan, is what set him apart,
0: without a doubt. And you know, Jerry Krause, the general manager of those those Bulls teams, who of course was talked about quite a bit and quite negatively. Uh, in the documentary. He was, I mean, I don't know that there's been anybody else who did what, what Jerry Krause did as a baseball scout and a basketball scout. because uh, And he used to scout both sports at the same time. Um, and after his time with the Bulls, he he scouted for the Yankees and the Mets and the Diamondbacks. And I actually got to know Jerry Krause a little bit when he was scouting for the Mets. Uh, and I was a broadcaster for the Mets AA affiliate in Binghamton, New York. And he was an he was a different guy. And you know what was weird about Jerry Krause was you could never, or at least I found this, like if you asked him about his time with the Bulls, he wouldn't give you anything. But if you just kind of hung around him and just listened to him and and just let him talk, he would eventually start telling you stories about the Bulls, about his time in baseball. I mean, you know, just just a, a really a really fascinating guy. He could talk one second about Scouting Earl Monroe because he was the one who scouted him uh when he got drafted by the Baltimore Bullets uh back in the I guess it was the late sixties. And and then he could go from that and then talk about uh scouting, you know, Phil Hughes in high school when he was a cross checker for the Yankees. I mean, just there are not too many people who can kind of kinda of, kinda of hit so many different areas like he could.
1: No, and probably some real bittersweet type memories with the Chicago Bulls despite all the yeah. championships that Man, just to to hear, remember Joe Klein was talking about in the documentary about how visceral it, it got between Pippen and Krauss, with Krauss sitting in the front of the bus and Pippen in the back berating him, you yeah. know, in front of everybody. And it said it raised everybody's eyebrows. It got very uncomfortable. And so, some probably really bittersweet uh, memories for, for Krauss and his time with the Bulls.
0: Well, without a doubt, without a doubt. You, uh, you pick up any um, any new hobbies over the the last week or so?
1: You know, I, I've been doing a lot of a lot of cardio. Uh, I, I I picked out this one uh, cooking app. You know, I like to cook, and yeah. uh, my daughter's home from college, and she likes to cook too. And, and the app is called Tasty. And what separates this app from from any other of the cooking apps, I think, that's probably out there, it's got a really shortened. Uh, Mini video of how to make whatever you're going to do. So, and that makes all the difference in the world for me. So, yeah, uh, you can watch it three or four times. It takes you about, you know, ten seconds per per uh, recipe, and you have a pretty good working order of what you need to do. You, then, then all you have to do is just put everything together. But seeing it, it makes it a lot easier for me.
0: Right. So, so tasty is the name of that app. Yeah, tasty. It's pretty good. Okay. All right. All right you know who's tasty is Astros pitching coach Brent Strom.
1: So is his wife apparently.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. About that. Yes, yes, we we will uh, Brent Strom, Astros pitching coach is our guest on the podcast this time around and uh, without further ado, let's let's bring let's bring Strami into the conversation. Well, Strami, what has the last what I guess 5 or 6 weeks looked like for you? I know you know, you live in Tucson, Arizona. I know you you were in Houston for a while. Uh, You've been back in Tucson, what, about a a week now?
2: Uh, It's been about two weeks.
0: This time of year, you're usually uh, working with pitchers. And I mean, the season started by now, usually. So what what have you been up to uh, the last few weeks?
2: Well, obviously, uh, the quarantine has limited a great deal of uh, stuff. Uh, From a professional standpoint, uh, staying in touch with all the pitchers, uh, you know, worked with the Jeremiah and our strength and conditioning people to send out a, an April plan. We uh, we will revisit that and put, send out a May 1st plan when we hear a little bit more and kind of get an idea where, where this thing is headed. But uh, I've gotten great response from a lot of people. Videos are coming in. Uh, some people are doing a bit more than others. Uh, but uh, all in all, everybody's healthy. And, uh, you know, the guys that we were requesting, like uh, uh, Verlander and Peacock, they're both uh, doing very, very well. Uh, and, uh, so, it, you know, I'm kind of, I'm really satisfied with the group. They've all stayed in touch. Uh, even, uh, I sent uh, a dozen baseballs down to Urkiti in Mazatlan. I guess, I guess he didn't want to throw with Mexican baseball. So I sent him some big league balls. It uh, <laughs> cost me a f- small fortune, but, uh, you know, I, I told him to stay out of senior frogs down in Mazatlan and just work on his throwing. He's in a good of mind as is Osuna and, uh, and the rest of the guys, uh, talking to Greinke is kind of funny. I just read uh, three articles, uh, everything I wanted to know about Greinke. They're quite, quite enlightening uh, from his Kansas City days up to the present. But uh, I asked him how he's doing, and he told me he's throwing every pitch between 78 and 82 miles an hour just to get a feel for that, that speed differential. So that's a typical Zach Greinke uh, <laughs> program, but I have no worries about him. I know he'll be ready to go.
0: You mentioned Verlander and obviously uh, had the, the groin surgery. Right about when everything shut down. What's his progress been like? Is he is he throwing off a mound now? Where, where is he at at this point?
2: No, you know, Jeremiah has been in, in charge of that program. He is throwing, uh, playing catch right now, nothing off the mound, uh, getting his regular checkups, but he's right on schedule. And uh, if everything uh, works out the way we all hope, uh, I think he'll be ready to go. Uh, I'm not going to speak for Jeremiah. He's been Closer with the doctors on on on, on JV's uh, program. My my interactions with JV, and it's not surprising, is is him continuing to try and improve. Uh, we've been exchanging emails, uh, videos of uh, 2011 to present. He's always trying to trying to get better, tweak things. Uh, so uh, that's been a a, a a progression that we we've continued because he's such he's so into. Uh, into how he throws, how he feels, the shapes of pitches, uh, how hitters react. That's been the basis of my thing, which shows me that he's, he's getting very close and feeling very comfortable with uh, starting to talk about that as opposed to the groin.
1: It's amazing to me all the time. When I talk to you or listen to you, you're always trying to learn. And when you Google your name on the internet, because I do clinics all around the world, it was, it was ridiculous. It started in Illinois, then Long Island, New York, then there's this European Baseball Coaches Clinic, Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, and you went to Italy uh, this past offseason. And you and your wife, Carrie, had a little bit of a scare. Tell the folks about uh, what you guys experienced after your your time in northern Italy.
2: Well, the clinic was in a, in a beach resort town called Rimini, which is just south of Venice. And uh, there were some people from around the world that actually came. Uh, in particular, there was a young lady. And I'm, I'm not saying that... Uh, that I contracted the virus. I, I, the way I felt, I, if, if, I never had any respiratory problems. I had an, a, a tremendously high fever. It was over 102 uh, when I got back home. But we met a, a lady from Hong Kong, and this is prior to the, uh, the you know, China uh, letting the world know about what had happened. And uh, had dinner with her, shook hands with her, was around her a great deal. Uh, she was trying to ask me to come to Hong Kong, eventually to do a clinic there. Uh, and, uh, when I got home and Kerry was sick in Italy and I got sick when we went South after our three days at the baseball clinic, we were down in, in the, uh, southern part of Italy, uh, came home. And I, what I did is I just wrote it out for about four days. I just, you know, got under the covers and, and, and brought the covers up to my chin and just kind of hung out for four days in bed and, and, and kind of wrote it out and got better. Uh, mm-hmm. so it was, it was frightening and, and this whole thing is frightening, but, um, um, yeah. you know, fortunately I got through it, um. We have been tested, uh, so I tested negative now, which is a good thing, and uh, I'm sure all of this is going to have to transpire if we're going to get back to baseball. Um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this develops.
1: Hey, Brent, one of, the, one of Robert and I's favorite things or days uh, at the ballparks around the league, and every team just about does this now, but there's dog day at the park, <laughs> and we we call it uh me as a stalker day at the ballpark because <laughs> there's a parade of dogs that go around the, the morning tracks around the field and you're usually out there with the starting pitcher and we know exactly what you're looking for and we'll spot it before you do but we'll find of course either a french bulldog or an english bulldog and we know that you're going to stalk that person out <laughs> and see if you can get a hug and get your fix with a bulldog at any point uh tell us about your your affection and your love affair with bulldogs
2: well <laughs> you know it's funny my uh, growing up I was a basset hound lover and uh, something about the uh, just the the little guys that uh, are short to the ground that you can cl- love and as you well know Sparky you and I talk about your bully all the time when uh, my pitcher could be throwing and uh, he can be in the middle of doing some work and and my left eye is looking at uh, at the shape of the breaking ball but my right eye is looking for for the bully I just leave the guy and uh, go and get a hug or get a picture taken they're just fun to be around and uh, you know as you know i have uh, I just recently lost one of my Frenchies uh, yeah. got another one, and it's just been the joy it has been a great time for me with uh, uh, we have Virgil and we have Uno and then I still have my English, Macy May. Uh, so mm-hmm. we have quite a menagerie of uh, bulldogs as we walk around our uh, <laughs> our complex here. You, they just make you smile sparky. you know what I'm talking they about do. you wake up yeah, morning, a smile on your face
0: you know this is obviously a unique time that that baseball and obviously the world at large is, is going through and uh, you've been through something like this, I guess, as a, as a coach, you know, you think about the work stoppages, obviously the circumstances are different now, but you know, the two biggest work stoppages in major league baseball, 1981 uh, you know, the strike that lasted 50, 50 days and uh, 1994, 95, which of course lasted uh, 232 days and wiped out the postseason that year. Now, I know you were coaching at the time, and I believe you were a minor league coach. But what do you remember about the work stoppages in '81 and '94, '95, and and how much they affected you or others who were around you at that time?
2: Well, you know, Sparky will tell you we're we're in baseball. We are really creatures of habit, and uh, and we have a very structured day. And I would go into the ballpark at 11 o'clock, let's say myself, and when AJ was the manager, uh, he was probably the only one who beat me in there, and Carl Schneider, our clubhouse guy, or one of the attendants. Uh, And I would be there early and get prepared and we're creatures of habit. Now the days seem to be going so slow and uh, It's almost like um, you know here. I'm looking at 75 degree weather. I have a swimming pool. I walk my dogs uh, I do a lot of computer work uh, Things like that, but what I miss really is the uh, is the competition of the games Uh, in the work stoppages earlier as, as Robert alluded to I was a minor league coordinator And their wins and losses don't mean as much. It's more about developing. So you'd look for little nuggets of players doing well on any given affiliate or any given team. At the major league level, the wins, uh, this is a zero-sum game. The wins become super important. And uh, I found myself when we would, uh, if we would lose a tough game, for example, uh, a close game, not so much the 15 to to 2 games or things like that, but when you lose a close game, you'd go to sleep you put your head on the pillow and your mind uh, drifts away and you're not thinking about it. Uh, but then at my age, uh, getting up in the middle of the night, my mind would immediately reflect back on what happened during the game. What was the score? Uh, and, uh, it would be uh, a little bit dif- difficult to handle. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I think when I, I read about these gamblers, that, uh, basically when they would win a game, uh, when they'd bet on a game and win, they weren't excited, they were more relieved when they would lose a game. Uh, they would be depressed. And so uh, the joy of winning sometimes uh, lost out is more of a relief until wow. you get to that ultimate prize, which in 2017 was a, uh, was a glorious time in, in my life, and, uh, and I will never forget it. And, and uh, so, you know, it just becomes a different, uh, a different time right now. And I miss the, uh, the competition, the wins and losses that uh, accompany every day uh, that Major League Baseball brings to the forefront.
0: Have you... Um... Picked up any any new hobbies the last few weeks?
2: Yes, I'm trying to improve my Spanish. Okay, I take lessons online uh, to improve my Spanish. My wife and I uh, were fortunate we purchased a uh, condominium on the on the beach in Mexico. So I want when I go back down. Now the funny thing about it, it's about oh about a two two and a half hour drive from where I live. Well, they had to stop work on it. Uh, it should be ready in uh, January or February of uh, of 21. So I'm trying to improve my Spanish and and uh, and do that. Currently, I'm doing a lot of work right now uh, actually trying to understand the uh Tommy John surgery because when I go online, I read about uh, how strong he was, how hard he throws, how great shape he was in. And so I'm really dissecting his mechanics, trying to present a, uh, a PowerPoint that I'm going to be giving in Toronto in, uh, in January of uh, why Synagard broke down, what the cautionary tale here to look for, that it's not about strength, it's about timing. And uh, unfortunately, synegard's timing was bad. And this was, a, this was, a, uh, was, this was just bound to happen. Uh, and there were telltale signs in 2017. So I'm currently working on a Synagard, uh presentation along with a lot of others that have experienced the Tommy John uh, uh, surgeries.
1: When your timing's bad like that, uh, when you're talking about Senegard, does that put more pressure on different areas of your arm?
2: Yeah, no question. You know, the uh, I don't care how strong you are, Sparky. You know, it's uh, it's funny when you look and they talk about that velocity. Velocity uh, creates it, or workload creates it. If that was the case, Sparky, then Nolan Ryan should have had it, and Clemens uh, should have had it late in his career, and and Bob Feller should have had it. The guys that were throwing 300 innings a a year should have had it if workload was the question. They were hard throwers that didn't experience this. One of the things I'm looking at, Sparky, and You've seen it down in West Palm Beach, is the idea of the 15 inch mound. And the 15 inch mound, which was as opposed to 10. Due to Bob Gibson's historic yeah. career, historic year, actually changed a great deal of things. So I'm contacting a lot of the uh, doctors, and I, I wish I could get the research on. Uh, there was no Tommy John surgery but uh, pre uh, Tommy John, but uh, it, it's my belief, and I'm trying to show why that mound actually, the lowering of the mound, has contributed a great deal to arm injuries uh, because uh, outside of the people like Verlander and Greinke and, and, uh, and Maddox and uh, others that have learned how to rotate correctly off the, short, off the smaller mound with less slope, a lot of guys are, uh, are not doing very well at it and uh, experiencing arm problems.
1: You know, and I heard Tom Brady say something to Peyton Manning, something on ESPN, and he said it really quickly, but it caught my ear. And he said, when you throw a football, you want to get your bicep closer to your right ear. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, this is something that uh, all of us with the Astros have been uh, uh, talking about. We basically call it connection and being okay. connected. And if you, what we really try and get our pitchers with the Astros to realize is that the arms are a slave to the middle of the body. And so the arms are basically passive passive uh, movements, that uh, rotation of the torso becomes the number one thing and the timing of rotation and where the arms are when you rotate. And so when you look at guys uh, that uh, as they go into extension with their arms, then they start, to, it's kind of like the figure skater. I think our, our listeners yeah. can kind of understand the picture I'm drawing. If you think about a figure skater, if we want to rotate as fast as we can, which we know rotation is power, if you think about a figure skater, he or she starts out with her arms extended, uh, making circles. And as they start to uh, increase their rotation, where do the arms come? They come into the torso. They come up by the, uh, by the chest, and they, they fold their arms in, and all of a sudden they have extremely fast rotation. This is what we're trying to do when we, when we throw. And, you know, people kind of uh, dismiss the fact about weighted balls. Well, if you think about a baseball A baseball is a weighted implement. It's five plus ounces. And so if I hold this five-ounce baseball away from me at a far distance, it creates more stress on my shoulder and and my joints than it does if I keep it close to my torso. And so we try and keep the ball uh, as close to the torso as possible so we can drive the ball in a straight line as much as possible. And uh, we're starting to understand a lot about the biomechanics of throwing and the reason quarterbacks, in my opinion, don't hurt their arm as much is because the ball weighs 15 ounces. And, and with a 15-ounce implement, your tendency is to hold the ball closer to your middle. Uh, it's a heavier-weighted heavier weighted implement, uh, three times the weight of a baseball, uh, where with a baseball, we sometimes become cavalier with it. And I've often asked this question, what is more injurious on throwing a baseball or throwing an implement, a tennis ball or a five-pound shot put? In my opinion, it's the tennis ball, because mm-hmm. it's light and you can allow yourself to be cavalier in your throwing. And this is what you see young kids do when they go out to a field, they pick up a ball and they just kind of wing it without any concept of, of what we call connection.
0: You know, I've, you obviously deal a lot with, with biomechanics. And I mean, I think um, our listeners are getting an idea of some of the stuff that, that you talk with, with Sparky and me and others about on, on a regular basis during the season uh, and, and just how, how involved you are in, in, in studying these things and, and trying to to come up with some answers and figure some things out. But I think it's also interesting. And I think one of your strengths is the fact that you understand that, you know, every pitcher is different. Every, everyone's body is different. Uh, you know, there's no one size fits all with everything you know about biomechanics and that other pitching coaches know about biomechanics. How do you kind of find that balance between understanding maybe the most efficient way to do something versus recognizing, all right, a pitcher may not have a, a perfect delivery, but he's comfortable with it and has had success with it.
2: Well, you're exactly right. Everybody, every pitcher is unique. In fact, oh, Robert, I'll go one step further. No one pitcher will ever throw the baseball exactly the same as they did before. Uh, the body's made up of 600 uh, muscles and you've got ligaments and tendons at different angles and strengths so far be it from me to, to believe that anybody will ever throw the baseball exactly the same. Uh, each pitcher, what I try and do is listen to what they tell me. There has to be a communication between the pitcher and yourself. And you, then as they're talking to you you, you, you give a little, you take a little, you try and explain to them objectively what you're, what you're talking about. Uh, but invariably, it comes back to them. And it's their career. My eligibility ended a long time ago if there was a point of contention between myself and the pitcher let's say it's a let's say it's an arm angle or let's say it's a, um, a lack of rotation or they like throwing across their body a little bit <clears throat> then let's say we'll take a Miley for example who is an extreme cross-body pitcher well my suggestion to, to, to Miley which is rather than revamping his entire delivery uh, pos- a possible move on the rubber would change the angle that he is viewing home plate at and would give Miley a better chance of driving the ball in a straight line which I know and biomechanists know is the best way to prevent uh, elbow injuries or shoulder injuries so a lot of times by running the camera backwards and you have a point of contention with the pitcher uh, you can maybe go to a a movement just prior to or maybe two points prior to or back to the beginning of the delivery um, indicate to him you know you might want to keep your weight over the Heel or the or the middle of your foot, as opposed to the ball of your foot, and and he may like that. And without him realizing it, uh, you've achieved your your message by. And then all of a sudden, you see the arm angle climb a little bit to a more strong a stronger position. So rather than dealing with the position that you're struggling uh, getting the pitcher to understand, go back in the delivery uh, to movements prior to. And a lot of times, you can be successful that way without him even realizing it.
1: Strongly, a lot of You're people right. like to uh, credit you with some turnarounds, maybe not turnarounds, with a lot of pitchers. One of them's Colin McHugh, one's Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole fall into that. Uh, you say, I like to listen to what they tell me first. But tell me about those initial meetings that you have with certain pitchers where you feel like you've got a pretty good idea how they can improve.
2: Uh, thank you, Sparky, on that. I think I get way too much credit for this uh, at times. I think... I'm the benefactor of a tremendous uh, analytical group uh, that, uh, that helps me with the, with the numbers and, and with Josh Miller and the previous bullpen coaches I've had from Craig Bjornsson to uh, Doug White and, and Josh now, and, and William Murphy in our minor leagues. Uh, all of them have contributed to the success of all of this thing. Let's take uh, Colin McHugh, for example. Well, Colin, when I first saw him come to the Astros, was a sinker-slider Kind of guy who had great spin to his curveball. He gets called up to Seattle because Oberholzer couldn't pitch on a given day and it was supposed to be a one time shot. Uh, he's warming up in the Seattle bullpen. Seattle has eight left handed hitters and McHugh's throwing sinkers and sliders. I had very little, the only time I'd been with him is during spring training. I, I kind of went out on a limb that day and I said, you know, Colin, your vertical game will play against these guys. I would really strongly suggest throwing four-seam fastballs up in the zone and, and then throwing curveballs to the bottom of the zone. Uh, and he, uh, he trusted me. I, I, I had a giant prayer right there because I could. this kid's career was kind of hanging in the balance. Well, he punched out 11 guys in seven and a third innings, and he never, never saw the minor leagues again. So that was, that was uh, somebody looking over my shoulder, helping me with that decision. As far as the other guys are concerned, uh, Garrett Cole, for example, coming over to us, was really swayed by the numbers because Garrett is an extremely intelligent uh, guy who understands these kind of things. And he, uh, the numbers just overwhelmed him when we showed him, when he's given up 35 home runs on two seamers inside while he's with the Pirates, that we could eliminate that, we could increase his, his swing and miss ratio. He bought into that. Uh, Charlie Morton came over to us, uh, again, another sinker ball guy. We did some delivery uh, changes with him. Uh, All of a sudden, his velocity climbed because he understood how to rotate around uh, his core and around his spine instead of trying to uh, run away from his arm and create sink. Uh, And then you combine the fact that he had a plus breaking ball, which we asked him to throw more often. Those are the kind of things that uh, the analytics people bring to me, and then it's up to myself and Josh to kind of present this in layman's terms so the pitchers can kind of understand uh, what we're getting at, and then we we hope for the best. And we've we've had some failures also, but more successes than failures, which is a credit to this organization.
1: You you know how I can tell that you're confident. And you play this humble, off shucks kind of guy, but you know how I can tell you're confident. It's because you married Miss America, 1979, <laughs> Carrie. That's yeah, how that's how we know
2: you're confident. How well, did you guys meet? Here you, Sparky. She's sitting beside me right now on the computer, <laughs> and she gets embarrassed whenever I uh, I bring that up. Uh, about my wife being Mrs. America in 1979, she hates it when I, when I, when I, because this is a young, this is a lady that uh, is uh, just as, just as happy picking up dog poop in the backyard as being Mrs. America. So I think even. But more she was Miss New Jersey. She wasn't
1: picking up dog poop
2: then. <laughs> Believe me, she was. She was raised on a ranch. She knows what it's like to do hard work. And uh, uh, what I, what I value about my wife is that she can go from one minute uh, cleaning up dog poop to the five minutes later being dressed, dressed to the nines, ready to go out. So that's a, that's a great attribute in a wife.
0: So how did you, uh, how did you meet, uh, Mrs. New Jersey?
2: (laughs) Well, it was funny, funny story. We were talking about this the other day. I was the pitching coach for the Tucson Toros and I was striding across the, uh, the parking lot here in, in Tucson. It was a Houston triple a franchise and, uh, and uh, I saw her striding into the, uh, into the office there. She was putting together a fundraiser for uh, battered women uh, utilizing her real estate uh, connections and uh, she had gone to the uh, University of Arizona basketball team to see if she could get them to model clothes. She had gone to the U of A football team to see if they could model clothes. She knew nothing about the Toros. She knew nothing about baseball. Uh, she had a great pair of legs walking across the parking lot, and I just followed <laughs> her into that parking lot, into that office, and uh, struck up a conversation. And we got all the players to put this together. We had Kenny Lofton, we had Ed Tobinsey, we had Dave Roddy, we had Mike Sims, we had a lot of people, a lot of guys that the uh, Astro fans may uh, may remember from back then. Uh, we put this uh, show together, made some money for battered women, and she and I struck out a, a conversation and a connection and. And ended up getting married, so uh, I was very fortunate because it was one of those sliding door type things. If if I had been five minutes uh, earlier or five minutes later and uh, had not been there, our general manager would have just blown her off. And uh, so it, it was a God thing. It really worked out well for me. One of the best things that ever happened in my life.
0: So what you're saying is when you saw Carrie walking across the parking lot that day in Tucson, you really liked her biomechanics.
2: Uh, yeah, she had a great pair of legs, man. She was <laughs> I just had to follow her. And Sparky knows what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned your time as a pitching coach in Tucson, uh, which, like you said, at, at that time was an Astros AAA affiliate. I don't know that I don't know how many people realize that, you know, this isn't, you know, you've been Astros pitching coach this time around since 2014, but I don't know how many Astros fans realize your connection with the Astros. This is actually the second time you've been with the Astros. You were pitching coach in Tucson and you were the big league pitching coach for a year when, when Terry Collins was, was Astros manager. Um, when you think back to your time in the, in the Astros organization previously, what, what are you most proud of? Who are some of the guys that that really stand out to you that, that, and, and some of the things that really stand out to you from that time?
2: Well, my time in Tucson, uh, spanned uh, uh, a couple times. I, I had Bob Skinner as uh, our first manager. We won a championship. And then I had Rick Sweet uh, as a manager. We won a championship there. And I had some notable players. Uh, Astro fans will, will recognize these names. I had the late Daryl Kyle. I had Shane Reynolds. I had Billy Wagner. I had Todd Jones. I had John Hudak. I had Al Mormon who was a left-handed pitcher, uh, with the Astros, uh, had a number of guys, and uh, and it was a it was a wonderful time for us. We won two championships, uh, you know, and 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 you know, winning the World Series in '17 is the highlight of my career, obviously. But uh, people don't realize that these uh, guys that are in the uh, in the minor leagues, uh, going through a 142-game schedule with about five off days, in the heat of the PCL Southern Division, uh, it's a grind. And uh, so that was uh, those were some joyful moments. Uh, other names to uh, Jeff Juden, Tom Wiedenbauer, uh, Gary Racich, uh, you know, the left-handed hitter Danny Heap. Uh, these are names that uh, that I've been associated with uh, throughout the history of the of the Toro uh, Ballpark, and uh, and uh, so I've I've decided to stay, made my home here in Tucson, and uh, a little disappointed we don't have uh, baseball here in Tucson anymore. It's all gravitated toward Phoenix, uh, but uh, when I go by High Corbett, a lot of good memories down there for. Uh, uh guys who who uh, honed their skills prior to going to uh going to the astrodome at that time
1: you mentioned terry collins you know i forgot or, or i just didn't know that you were the pitching coach for the chinese team in the world baseball classic but terry collins is the manager of the chinese team in 2009 how'd that go
2: it's funny you brought up terry collins name i was he was my manager in uh in houston in 96 uh unfortunately we came in second place that year and i got fired uh, as did Terry and everybody else. Uh, we came in second place behind uh, the 1996 uh, Tony La Russa St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, wow. I was pretty proud of ourselves coming in second place. Uh, uh, but uh, we all got fired. There was a change at the uh, the, the general manager. Uh, Bob Watson was the general manager in 95. Uh, Gary Hunsiger came in in 96. Uh, we came in second place, and he fired all of us. So that was a little disappointing. I understand when you... If you don't come in first place, you, uh, you're basically coming in last mentality. But uh, anyway, so we went back to the minor leagues, uh, came back uh, later. But my time with Terry, with the Chinese team, was, was a lot of fun. Uh, we, uh, we went over to, in the WBC, we ended up going against uh, uh, Taiwan, or known as uh, Chinese Taipei, uh, also Japan and Korea. Uh, we had one player on our team that was playing professional baseball. He was with the Pirates organization, and he, uh, he batted third for us. He was an A-ball guy. And our Chinese team was funny. We trained in Lakeland after the Tigers would get off the field. I can remember taking the uh, Chinese team in a van to uh, Sam's Club to buy some stuff, and they bought $1,300 worth of cigarettes, Coca-Cola and candy, and <laughs> wow. uh, came back. And uh, training was not a big thing for the Chinese. In between sprints, they would want to smoke a cigarette. So it was a little bit different uh, for me to uh, adjust, but it was a lot of fun to be with them. Uh, we ended up doing okay. We, uh, we beat Chinese Taipei, which was, which was the, uh, the one team that China really wanted to beat. We faced Yu Darvish when he was still in Japan. I saw Matsuzaka uh, play, and it, the most amazing thing was to go to the Tokyo Stadium see 50,000 people going crazy just for each road stretching down the right field line. So uh, it was an amazing sight, and, uh, but a great experience. And we got treated first class, uh, first class, uh, and uh, it, was, it was fun to be around that, that atmosphere.
1: Well, Stromy, I just got a couple more things for you. Um, one of them is that the pipeline in San Diego that I know you're very proud of, of growing up there, and you've got a lot of close friends from that area. Uh, Ted Williams came out of there. Alan Trammell, who you're really close with. Greg Nettles, Adrian Gonzalez, Cole Hamels, Bob Boone, Stephen Strasburg. Man, just the list goes on and on. Tell me about what it was like growing up in that area of San Diego. Um, They've just produced a lot of good baseball.
2: Well, you know, it it doesn't uh, compare because size-wise to what LA has done. But uh, growing up in San Diego, my dad took me to my first pro game uh, with the San Diego Padres. At the base of Broadway, uh, uh, the base of Broadway it was a place called Lane Field. I walked into the stadium; it was a wooden stadium. Uh, the green grass just struck me—emerald green grass. I can still remember like it was yesterday. Sparky, it was uh, the uh, San Diego Padres versus the Vancouver Mounties. Uh, San Diego Padres were a Cincinnati franchise. Gary Bell, former pitcher with the Cleveland Indians, was on the mound for uh, for one of the teams, and it just—I, uh, you know, just. Enthralled me to watch this, and then they moved to Westgate Park down in Mission Valley, and uh, eventually got a major league franchise uh, in San Diego. But uh, I grew up in Ted Williams' neighborhood, and and my dad being from Boston, I, be, I became a big fan of the Red Sox, and and to this day still a major fan of the Boston Celtics, and the uh, just the affinity of of reading about Ted Williams, the greatest hitter of all time, and and uh, being growing up in his neighborhood, and then to see the the names that you mentioned come through that uh, that san diego area uh, it does speak volumes for the uh... for the uh... the emphasis on baseball in that area and it's uh... it's a beautiful city you know it's uh... it's not called america's uh, most beautiful city for any other reason than it actually is and uh... but the players uh, one funny story which the people might get a kick out of is i got to meet ted williams one time and i went to san diego high school where greg nettles went to school and uh... And uh, Don Larson went to school, who's from San Diego. And Jock Jones, who played with the Minnesota Twins, went to school. And a number of really good players. And I went to Mr. Williams. I, w- the, I was with the Astros AAA pitching coach at the time. We went over to Winter Haven. The Red Sox were training in Winter Haven. And I, I, walked, into the, I walked out on the field, and I just offhandedly asked, is, is Mr. Williams here? And somebody said, yeah, he's over in that building over there. So you know, I made a beeline over there. And I walked in, and I said, uh, Mr. Williams, my name's Brent Strom. Uh, I'm from San Diego. You've been my favorite player of all time. Uh, I just wanted to meet you. And he laughed and shook his hand and he had a baseball bat laying across his uh, crossed his legs, his crossed legs. And I, I said, Mr. Williams, I have a uh, I have a question to ask, if you don't mind. He goes, sure. What do you have for me, son? And uh, I said, Ted, uh, Mr. Williams, there's a uh, there's a rumor floating around that you did not go to the school I went to because you didn't think you could make the team. And uh, I'm talking to the greatest hitter of all time. <laughs> and he laughed, and I thought he was going to blow me out of the building. And he laughed, and he said, you know what? There's some truth, There's some truth to that uh, rumor. Wow. I was a young 14-year-old, skinny little kid, and I didn't know if I could make the team at your high school because you had all the best players. So I ended up going to Hoover High School. And it just struck me uh, as, as here I am talking to Ted Williams and uh, a guy who walks into a room that creates the, the look that a Koufax or a Pele or Muhammad Ali, or, or people of that, uh, of that nature bring when they walk into a room. And, and he had fears, and he had uh, doubts. And uh, so it just as a reminder that even the greatest uh, have those type of fears at times that all of us have encountered at times.
1: All right, last thing from me, Stromi. Which hitter in the American League West scares you the most in a tight situation? Three different hitters, one on the Rangers, one on the A's, and one on the Angels. Which hitter scares you the most in a tight situation? First, the Rangers.
2: Okay, first the Rangers. Let's see. Uh, with the game on the line where a base hit beats you, let's say. Um, and now that, that beltray has gone, uh, you're going to kind of laugh at my, uh, at my answer here, but it's actually Elvis Andrus. Oh, yeah, uh, that's who I would who, get, uh, too. Elvis Andrus is the one who bothers me. Let's go to the, um, the Angels. Uh, the obviously, obviously, I'm going to say Trout, but I'll be honest with you. If I, if I have a runner on third base – and the infield's in, and uh, I need to get a strikeout with a one out. Uh, you're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the leadoff hitter, uh, Sparky. His name's uh, Oh Fletcher. Fletcher. Fletcher yeah. just wears me out, man. He just will not strike yep. out, and he makes contact. And so I I actually feel that I got a better chance of maybe punching out Trout than I would uh, would Fletcher. Where where contact would beat you, and then if you go to the A's, uh, predominantly right-handed hitting team, the guy that scared me the most, and he's no longer with them anymore, was Jed Lowry, who had great contact skills and being a switch hitter uh, on the A's. I would say that um, I'll be honest with you, it, it would be Olson. Olson would bother me a little bit uh, with being left-handed, with all my right-handed pitchers. Uh, uh, Chapman, to some extent. Uh, but uh, you know they—they're a little bit more. Uh, e- it's not as easy to pick out that one guy on the on the Oakland team. How come you didn't ask me about Seattle? Um, what do you got on Seattle? You know why are we dis- dissing Seattle here, Spark? <laughs> I would—I uh, uh, would—I would, uh, would say um, obviously when Cano was there it would be the guy I wouldn't want to face, but uh, it'd probably be Mitch Haniger, uh, a guy that uh, does a pretty good job. So uh, all of them are good. You know it's just a matter of uh, would you rather face. Uh, Aaron Judge or uh, uh, Ronald Torreyes.
1: It depends on who you have on the mound, right?
2: Well, that's true. But if let's say I have Verlander, for example, or Cole, and I have a chance for a punch out, I need a punch out. uh, Ronald Torreyes scares me more than Judge does because you have more opportunities for a punch out uh, and uh, the contact is less. So uh, that's how a pitching coach views things at times. It's all dependent on the game situation, things like that. Of course, if I had you on the mound, Sparky, with that knuckleball, it doesn't really matter.
1: That's a great point. Thanks for saying that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Brent Strom, it's always great to talk with you. Um, thank you so much for joining us and, and stay safe down there in Tucson.
2: You guys too. Let's get back together again. So, cause you know, you know, when we take those bus rides from the airport, I always come to the back of the bus so I can sit with you two. It's one That's of right. the highlights of my, uh, of every trip.
1: So, and the back of the anyway. bus is exactly where we belong. Well,
2: that too, at my age, I always keep the bathroom <laughs> close, but it's really because of you two, you're, you're, you're so great to talk to, and I actually do enjoy, uh, you know, the rest of the staff stops in the front there and does their thing. I always head to the back of the bus where I belong.
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate that, and uh, stay safe down there, all right?
2: Take care of yourself.
0: You know, Steve, uh, obviously always great to hear from, from Brent Strom. I always feel like I, I get such an education whenever whenever um, I, I talk with, with Brent Strom, whenever he talks with us, and I think fans just got a little taste right there of, of just some of the things that that, that will, will talk with us about and bring up to us.
1: You know, when I have conversations with him and, and he talks about like, I just don't understand why so-and-so doesn't get the, the, blah, blah, blah. And what he's so good at is he's got a Rolodex of different ways to explain something. Just like what he was talking about with Wade, Miley, uh, little things like that, little cues to get somebody to do something he wants without realizing uh, that the, the correction he's making mechanically is derived from from some other area. He's just very aware of the biomechanics. Uh, he touched on his affinity for the Boston uh, Celtics. Did you know mm-hmm. that he wore Bill Russell socks during Game Seven of the World Series? That's how much he I, loves the Celtics.
0: Yeah, and, and if I remember correctly, those got auctioned off for charity after uh, after the Astros won the World Series. That's right. Uh, but yeah.
1: One of the most genuine men uh, I think you and I, I'll speak for you too, Robert, that we've ever met.
0: Without a doubt, without a doubt. Always great to chat with Brent Strom. Always great to um, get a chance to talk with, with Astros fans. We certainly hope everybody is staying safe. We certainly hope everybody is washing their hands. And taking all the necessary precautions and, and not going outside unless they absolutely have to. Uh, Steve, always great to talk with you as well, and, and, and hopefully you and your family stay safe.
1: You too, Robert. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get to work soon. Hopefully we can, and
0: we'll say so long for now. See you later! Whether it's at the ballpark or at home. That ball's smoked oh, 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 Big moments can happen anywhere. Anywhere. Thanks to all the frontline workers. Thanks to those sacrificing that. Right. Soon we can cheer together. Together. Stay safe, Houston.